On this episode of Build Tune Race Live, I talked to David Vassar, the owner of Nitrous Outlet. We talked about everything from your daily driver to full-blown pro mod racing and EFI, progressive controllers, and everything in between. So this is a really good talk about everything uh, Nitrous related, and I hope you guys enjoy it. If you do, make sure you hit the subscribe button below. Cool. So I guess to get started, um, for if there's a few people that end up watching this that don't know who you are, you want to give just a little background of you and how you got started and your background in racing and Nitrous Outlet and all that stuff. Yeah, so I'm Dave. A lot of people know me as Nitro Dave. Um, in 2001, we actually started by opening a speed shop, and then we sold the uh, – well, the speed shop was went for about three or four years, and Nitrous Outlet evolved. The reason why it's called Nitrous Outlet is originally we resold other manufacturers' product, and then we started manufacturing key components like your EFI plates you see nowadays. We're the first ones to bring those to market, dedicated fuel systems, uh, switch panels. We were doing all the stuff that no one else did, and we would pair it up with other brands and, uh, and sell it. And then <clears throat> I want to say 2005-ish, 2006-ish, somewhere around there, we started become, we went directly into manufacturing. And shortly after, we cut off selling the other brands products and we went from being their largest dealer to the largest competitor <laughs> that's the way to do it cool man so nitrous has been kind of your thing the whole time then yeah you know where we had the speed shop we did i mean we did everything from boosted applications sure. to just bolt-ons to nitrous but nitrous is something that that captured uh my interest and uh the tuning aspect of it uh and with the tuning side of it, I would go out and tune cars and I would see design flaws or characteristics that could be improved. And that's really how our product line came about was just me out working on stuff. And, and now we've bent it, built it from being a one man operation to 30 of us. And uh, mm -hmm. now I have a crew that is involved in helping design product instead of it just being me. How, uh, how big of a, uh... The R&D part of it is it to always be trying to work on the next step. I mean, I know you guys released a few products right before PRI, and that's kind of the thing you do every year is try to come up with some new products and everything. That's uh, always trying to be have that new technology, I guess, right? It's a pretty big deal. Yeah, you know, R&D is really important. Um, for us, we have a full R&D department. We invest a lot of time and money into designing products, testing them, uh, and bringing new products to market that people haven't ever thought of. Uh, and what that does is that puts us on top. Uh, it's a huge expense to do that. Um, and to be honest with you, it's a lot of work and not everyone is willing to put forth that effort. Um, but because of it, it also, as, as time evolves and, and technology evolves, we learn uh, ways of going back to bring things current with technology. And if, and if we didn't have companies like ours that invested in R&D, you would just have the, the comp companies that just keep regurgitating the same thing over and over and over, and the industry doesn't move forward. Also, whenever you got companies like ours that are investing in R&D, it makes the other guys uh, step up their game, which is uh, great for the industry as a whole. Yeah, man, for sure. And, I mean, that's one of the reasons I want to get you on the show is I know you're always, you're always on Facebook Live talking to – People are talking about what's going on, what's new, what's different. So, uh, you know how important it is to be kind of in it with the uh, racers and everything else. So, you have a lot of racers that help run your product and everything else, right? Give you feedback and 
I know you guys have set a lot of records. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I'll be honest with you. You're only as good as the, you know, I can build the best product that we can. Uh, but we're only as good as the racer that's using the product. And if you're willing to listen, those racers uh, and individuals, not necessarily just racers, your customer base as a whole will tell you uh, if something sucks. And if you listen to them, you can come back and redesign it and design it better. Um, but they'll also give you data that there's no amount of, uh, there's no amount of testing that you could do as one company versus the data that your guys are willing to give you because they want you to continue to put together the best product they can have to keep being the, you know, the leading edge and, and they're part of the industry. For sure. So like I have a, I have a little nitro street car and with the Holly and stuff in it and I watch a lot of the data and I get that, but what's uh what's the main like data that you guys are looking for on the nitro stuff? What's some of the key you know, we, stuff you look for? We look at uh, cylinder to cylinder distribution. Uh, we look at solenoid control, uh, response times, uh, just overall the, the, the performance and the design of the of the, uh, the product line. I mean, if you look at if 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 you look at just how far and how fast these cars have gotten on a nitrous plate, you know. Um, yeah. Used to, everything was direct port, direct port, direct port. Um, we have really, and I don't want to sound big-headed, but when I first got into this, no one was putting the amount of nitrous through a carburetor plate that they are now. And uh, and everyone just kept redoing the same thing. And so whenever we took in a, and, st and stepped over into the plate market, because we started out in EFI, late model EFI. Um, you know, I started out as an LT1 guy, and then, you know, and that's old school LT1, not the new sure. one. And uh, <laughs> then we went over into the LS platform. And what I came to realize is, is before, you know, last year was the first year we really started organizing a marketing department. So the company just kind of followed where Dave went. And I'm all <laughs> over the place. I'll have interest in doing sportsman, top sportsman racing, and the next thing I'm over in small tire, and then I'm no prep. Well, what happened is I went from being a streetcar guy to – to go into the racetrack and getting data that way. And I'm going to be honest with you, the streetcar market uh, is what is what funds the company. The racing mm -hmm. side of it is, uh, is fun. <laughs> you know, so it's, yeah, it's uh, the racing side of it is, is, uh, is challenging to me. And so I, I went and bought a, 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 a 99 Hugger Orange SS the other day so that we could participate more in the streetcar stuff. Um, because sometimes you just kind of get lost in, in, or I get lost because, uh, I want to do everything. Well, before you know it, I'm at the racetrack every weekend and I'm not visiting you in the street meets or anything, but lucky for me, I have a building full of streetcar guys. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to, uh, one of your guys out there at PRI this year, I'm doing like a little, uh, Mazda RX two, but it's going to have a direct injected LT engine in it. One of the new ones. And uh, just talking about some plate stuff and just good info and what you guys have seen with it. And uh, I was like, well, can you guys do the, uh, like, the little moneymaker system? And he's like, well, when you start cutting those intakes up, they get a little thin. And uh, so I know you guys are working on stuff. It's just sometimes it doesn't work out exactly how you want some of the new the new streetcar stuff to work out because of all the different designs and everything else. So We've uh, actually done quite a few hidden systems in that intake already. Yeah. So – there's some out there. You might be careful what you pull up next. <laughs> no, I might, uh, I might need one myself. So that's what I was kind of thinking with it. I want to, 
that's one thing that I really like about the nitro stuff on the, the street car, just your basic drivers, you can leave it all the same. Uh, you don't have to right. get crazy with oiling systems for turbos or big fuel systems. You can kind of leave it, leave this car as is, or if you go to trade it in, you can get rid of all of it. And somebody might not know that you were spraying the crap out of the thing, but it's kind of nice. You know, our pilot line's built around that theory. If you look at our plug-and-play harnesses, we bring uh, the cars in. We only offer it for late-model EFI stuff. But we'll bring a, a car in, and we take the car apart, and we actually uh, design a harness that drops in the car. So you as a customer would order the harness. You would hook up the main battery, the main ground, the TPS connection, the uh, tack, and the keyed hot, and make your solenoid connection. Everything is done for you. Um, and that, that that's another area of making it plug and play. All of our system, like our, our plate systems and stuff, are all designed around, you know, bolting it to the car so that you can remove it if it needed to go in for warranty work or whatever and no one would ever be able to tell that it was on there so that's one reason why our product line does so well is because our product line is actually built around the car not it's not crammed in a clamshell with universal braided hoses sure. and so it complements the the system as well whenever you you know it, it it bothers me to go to a car meet and everything on the car be perfect and the nitro system look like shit and that just Man, that just irritates me because it's like they had all their heart and soul, and then they were like, oh, let's just throw nitrous on it. And that's exactly <laughs> what they did. They just threw it on there. So one way that we've been able to to control our product and, and make sure that whenever it's installed, it looks well, is by, by basically making it almost impossible for someone to screw it up. And some guys still figure out how to do that. But, sure. you know, it's when you look at it, most of the time, if, if you Google, if you just Googled uh, – nitrous outlet systems versus our competitors and look at installed pictures from the average Joe, our product looks 10 times better. And I'm not just saying that because it's ours that, you know, that was just the outcome of what the average guy was able to do in his driveway with our product. Sure. Yeah. Once you add that little, the wiring is what scares a lot of people away from it anyway. So if you can just make it simple and clean, then it's, or you look at some of the installs that people do and they don't know how to wire. So they got sketchy connections. And then they wonder why their solenoids cutting cutting in and out and all that stuff when they're when they're racing so that 90 percent of our tech fun. calls are wiring issues yeah absolutely so what do you uh what do you see for kind of that industry do you see anything or what are you guys working on that's kind of cool or different the lt stuff or the new coyote stuff or what have you seen that's real really cool yeah you know we went through some growing pains and uh the the truth is, is just getting enough employees in place um, we have the best crew we've ever had right now. Uh, we kind of stepped back last year from the R&D and just started really concentrating on just getting the company to run more efficiently. And uh, it's like building a house on a rocky foundation. And, and that's what we did because the company started with me having no clue business-wise what I was doing. I was just a car guy that thought, man, you know what would be cool? Let's do this. And, and the entire company was built off of, you know what will be cool. And uh, – over the last few years, I've been able to employ people smarter than I am at what we need done, and they've had to clean up my mess. That's the best way of putting it. <laughs> um, so this year, we're finally back into the R&D stage. Last year, at the end of the year, we released the Kraken and, uh, and the Tower of Power and uh, our nitrous controller, the, the, the uh, Pro Mats, um, and, and the Wind Mats. So we got into electronics. Fishner, you know, we're working on releasing a dual wideband. Um, there's a lot of K 
key components that are in the R&D process right now. We switched everything over to uh, aluminum solenoids, uh, which uh, we call our uh, ProMod solenoids. Uh, our entire product line is switching to that. We've invested a year of testing those before we ever even told the market they were coming. And we we're putting them on big race applications just to beat them up and see if they would have any failure issues. And, and we never had not a one. Um, we've invested a lot of time in solenoid design and testing. Electronics are really big from us right now. Uh, the Stinger 4 was just finished, which is back over into the carbureted race market. Uh, there's a ton of things going on, but the biggest thing that I'm really excited about right now is just being able to start bringing new cars in and tearing them apart again. Sure. And then, you know, the, 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 what's great about that is, is I had a buddy tell me one time, he said, Dave, you are awesome at designing product and creating a uh, uh, product that works. You are terrible at marketing it. So I would, I would create something and then, and then I would finish it. Right. And it would go on the shelf and then I'd be like, Oh, you know what? I got another idea. And I'd run over there and start that. And then all of a sudden you have 10 or 15 products that is awesome, but no one knows anything about it. And so uh, the instructions were terrible. It was just, you know, it was just me. Um, now we have this crew to where we can design the product. We got a marketing department that can write the instructions, take the pictures. We hired a video guy at the end of the last year so we can help market it. We got a, a badass graphic artist in house that can do graphics. We got a, a marketing uh, manager that, that knows what's going on, knows how to report, run reports and create uh, all that. So you'll see those steps come in and then you got a sales department that can actually sell it and, uh, and let their, their accounts know that it's there. So we've, we've spent the last year just creating these steps that go along with after that should happen after you design a product instead of it going on the shelf. And that, that's, that's what we're moving towards now. Sure. Yeah, man, that's all part of it. Just, uh, as long as it gets out there to everybody and, you have a you have a great following, right? You do a lot of live feeds, and you get a ton of people that jump on there and want to chat about what you're doing. So uh, you, they know the support's there and everything. It's just bringing it all together and getting it out there. So, um, what are you doing on? You know, I used to be scared to do the live feeds. <laughs> like this, this right here, this interview. Um, I have several buddies that used to push me to do it, and and I've even walked out on a, a video at PRI one time because inside my head, I was just thinking I was making a fool out of myself. And uh, I, uh, I walked off in the middle of the interview and my sales manager and our marketing manager was not very happy with me. Um, and so I started doing the little live chats and that was because they were forcing me to do it because I honestly didn't want to be the face of the company. And uh, their point was, look, we can do only so much, but you're Dave and that's who people want to see. And uh, it took me a while to get there because I'm not one of those that will walk up and introduce myself. I don't care if people know who I am. Uh, that's not what I'm about. I'm not a who's who type guy. Uh, I just like to build race cars and I like to make shit go faster. And so uh, the now I'm, I'm comfortable doing the interviews sure. and the videos and I understand the importance of it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of the way that it is now. That's how everybody communicates and it's uh... – it's, what's cool is like when you guys are talking about new products for PRI, you post it out there a couple of days prior and everybody knows what to come check out in your booth and all that right before it. So, um, and then that's why I kind of like doing these is because it gives people a little bit more personal to who you are and who the company is and uh, kind of how it all came about and just, just some good info. Cause I had a couple guys come up with a, a few questions. Um, one of them was, what's what's the average uh, passage you think you'd get out of, like, a 15-pound bottle on a 200 shot? 
I know there's probably a lot that goes into that, but uh, maybe you can elaborate or just that you only make a Yeah, there's a little formula that we go by that is, you know, everything in what we do is based off formulas. Um, and the formula for that is one pound per every 100 horsepower every 10 seconds. So if you had a, you know, a 200 shot on the car and your car made a quarter mile pass in 10 seconds, then you're going to use two pounds. There you go. Nice. So it's a good average rule of thumb. Yeah, absolutely. Now you see probably in a lot more of the racing stuff is people will um, probably constantly keep fresh bottles in the car. Do you see that quite a bit? Right. And so, yeah. yeah, you know, especially in your, your class racing, uh, the guys that are spraying quite a bit, uh, we tend to, to switch bottles out every pass and that's to maintain volume. Um, once you start losing volume, the pressure drops significantly. So the guys that, so let's say like the guy that just asked how much nitrous he had used in a 15 pound bottle, right? Sure. Well, by theory, if he had a hundred shot and, and he only used one pound every pass because they had a 10 second car, he's, he's going to think, well, I'm going to get 15 hits out of it. Well, by the time that bottle gets down to about three or four pounds, the pressure, it, it may hit offline and just it, it, immediately the car will go rich because it'll lose volume. Um, so, with class racing, everything is important. Uh, bottle pressure, everything's important, leaving exactly the same so, so that the tune-up doesn't change. Um, and, I, you know, I used to travel with a buddy of mine. Uh, he would fly me out because he ran uh, one of the Mopar events. And uh, he would fly me out so that I could take care of his car while he was taking care of the event. And we got into the finals one time, and – I made a bad judgment call of not switching bottles because we got switched for time. And the car that we were against in the finals had just enough motor to, to take us out on the top end. And uh, I felt really bad about that. So I've learned my lesson and I never, I never go into the next round with the same bottle anymore. Sure. So a lot of people carry their own fill stations and everything else. So they just constantly keep them topped once you get into, Correct. The, into the level. Yeah, for sure. Um, another one was, um, optimal bottle pressure for best um, best flow, but with minimal <clears throat> pressure drop. That's a tricky question, you know, because it's there's a lot of determining factors. And I'm actually working on a tech article right now, and uh, I was actually working on it pretty hard and heavy. And then we got behind, and I've been out just helping the guys out in the in the shop trying to get caught up. Um, but I'm working on a article right now that that talks about pressure drop. Um, and it talks about product design and how it affects pressure drop because it's not just bottle pressure that, that, uh, creates pressure drop. And, uh, and so I'm working on a pretty in-depth technical article on that right now, but to answer his question, the amount of nitrous that you're, so a guy that's spraying a hundred shot versus a guy that's, that's spraying 600 horsepower worth of nitrous, that, that formula is going to be different. So sure. sometimes in some of this stuff, if we're racing jet restricted, we obviously want to find the happy medium between the, the, the uh, most pounds per hour through the system with less pressure drop, right? right. And so what, what we do know is that if you take a system that's flowed at 700 PSI and a system that's flowed at 900 PSI, the 900 PSI system is going to move more pounds per hour than the 700 PSI system. So, but the pressure drop is probably going to be more significant as well. Um, and sometimes it's not. 
and that and that determining factor is how much nitrous is going through there. So that's the reason why that if we're a you know a flow bench is like a chassis dyno, it's just a tuning aspect tool. So while I can look at data and 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 jump into a car I've never had any dealings with and give that guy a really close tune up. I can be spec on by putting it on the flow bench and saying, Hey, this is really hurting us, or this is helping us. This is where we want to be. And so there's not a perfect, this is your answer. And, and we know average wise where it should be, Sure. but sometimes there's key components within the system that will change it. Yep. There's not a one, uh, one size shoe fits all on that deal. huh? <laughs> not at all. You know, and we tell most of our streetcar guys, and a lot of times the streetcar guys will hear us talking about race car stuff, yeah. and they get it confused. Um, we we advertise to, to on the streetcar stuff to do 900 psi, and uh, the reason why we do that is at 900 psi, it's not too high of a bottle pressure creating head pressure, so the pressure drop is less on the top end, but also the the pressure is not so high that it's going to be so hard on the solenoids. Over into the race car stuff, a lot of the jet-restricted stuff, we do at 900 PSI. Some of the big stuff that's not jet-restricted, single-kit type stuff, um, we, we may be – I've done 700 PSI, 750, 800, 850. It really just depends on, uh, for one, how much time. Um, and uh, – and, I forgot what I was talking about. How much time are you taking out of the car and how, how hard you're hitting the tire? There's just a lot of different tuning aspects that, that bottle pressure correlates over to that a lot of people don't realize. Sure. Something that, I'm, uh, that I'd like you to elaborate on, and I'm just from getting into kind of the tuning and EFI world and then watching all these 900 inch engines with multiple stages, but all EFI, what do you think that's done for the performance side of everything with all the EFI engines? Do you think that's really helped? longevity of it and using the some of the ecus to control the nitrous and also the i guess what would you say that like the fuel compensation and learn and everything on all these new ecus you know i'm an efi guy um i like both i have customers that are exceptional with either or uh, if you look at uh, the efi side of things in my opinion it's harder to tear it up there's safety measures out there to help you uh, gather the tune-up quicker and know what's going on. Um, there's compensation that can be done uh, to help with the fueling side of it. Uh, even with EFI, the timing, you know, not, timing is really important and plug choice is really important with nitrous applications. Um, you still got to know, you still got to be in the ballpark on timing. Sure. Um, but the, the ECU can compensate on the air fuel side of it. Um, you always hear which one's faster. And uh, there's not there's not an answer there because I mean if you look at uh, Kenny Hubbard, I mean he's he's being dominated the S two seventy five nitrous stuff with his carbureted application. He knows the tune ups very well. If you look over at uh, in Radio versus the World uh, uh, last weekend at uh, Duck Sweet Sixteen race, uh, Jeff Nizer, uh, I think he ended up going to seventy two. With a carburetor application, but then Jamie Hancock came behind with a fuel tech EFI setup, and and so Jeff set a record, and then Jamie took it from him. So for us, that was awesome because two nitrous outlet cars in the same weekend was just showing that they got what's going on. 
And Jamie put, I think it was a 68. So Jamie put his cars in the, in, in the sixes. That's the first nitrous outlet car in the sixes. Um, so, uh, and he, he's got an EFI set up. So I think that everybody has their areas that they shine at. Uh oh, I hit someone on my phone. <laughs> there we are. Sorry. Um, people quit calling me. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> the, uh, the, if you look at that, I think I think it's easy to say that while we say that with EFI, you have a less chance of messing it up, there's a learning curve there, and you have to be invested into learning. Um, there's a bigger learning curve there. And the, and the problem with some people is that they want to pay people to tune their cars and not learn. And right. if, if you're running something, it's best that you know your application. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to tune it. You just need – you need to be learning as you're, you're going along if you want to be successful. Yeah, understand what the plug should or shouldn't look like and what you're shooting for, not just, well, he's taking care of it and just completely forget about the rest. Yeah, I see. Right, you got to understand the, the, the changes that need to be made. And, and, uh, and at the same time, unless you have a tuner that, that goes with you to, to every race, and right. that's his job. Because, you know, some of these teams legitimately have a crew chief and they have a tuner and they have this and they got it together. Now, the average Joe that's paying somebody to help him over the phone and he's not trying to learn, eventually that's going to catch up with him. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Uh, do you see a lot more of that coming to where the some of those race teams will start learning it more or do you see more tuners being needed to support that many, all the racers in the future? I see both. I, see, I work with a lot of tuners, and uh, what I've came to realize is the best tuners at the same time are educating their customer. Um, and, and that's just like within the company. You know, your, my goal is to train somebody to take my job. And so, and their job is to train their employees to take their job. Well, the more you feed them knowledge, the stronger the team is. So, it's not necessarily that they're taking your job. You're just simply you're able to do a better job if they understand the changes that are being made and they can communicate with you on what needs to be done and you don't have to hold their hand through every process. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the questions was too that came up, uh, are you guys going to be a OSCR? I think they said maybe this weekend or I don't know what race that is. I'm not, I'm not sure. Jonathan, which is our marketing director actually controls the, uh, where, where we're going. Um, there are so many races and so many events now that we struggle on uh, the balance of taking care of, of not killing uh, our staff here to go to these events. And, and we actually decided to kind of slow it down a little bit because all the time, especially getting the trailer ready, the trailer is a nightmare. Every time it comes back, it's, it's a nightmare to get ready for the next one. And, and it just kills our staffing. Now, I think the next thing we're going to is uh, – well, this weekend, I'm going to Denton for RTRA, the uh, limited 275 race. Um, but the uh, streetcar takeover Kansas City kickoff party is coming up, mm -hmm. I think, on the 15th. And we're planning to go to that. And then uh, there's redemption race coming up after that that we're going to. And then there's a Dirty South no prep race we're going to after that. So we were looking at, and I'm telling you off my memory, earlier we were looking at uh, the schedule for just this month and next month. Uh, but we've already laid out the year, but it just changes. Like people will reschedule races and yeah. 
and and then you also have uh you know uh uh chuck and and james's and ryan's uh no prep series that they're running now uh and last year we couldn't make it to any of those because it was so last minute that whenever they were scheduling it they were scheduling on top of stuff that we were already committed to so i've already reached out to james and said hey get me some uh get me some event scheduling as soon as you can because we want to support it but we just can't be everywhere. Right. So when you guys go, uh, for anybody that hasn't seen you guys at an event, usually you guys roll up with a big big trailer and you have a lot of products on display and you'll do the uh, bottle swap program and everything else too, right? Yeah. You know, we do the uh, – the, the vending trailer obviously has apparel in it and uh, it has just about every nitrous part you could need if your car broke at the track. That's, that's – to cool. be honest with you, that's – when this started uh, – my goal was to show up to the racetrack, and if one of my customers broke, I wanted to be able to get them to the next round. And that's really where uh, that's really where that trailer came from. And then we realized it was such an expense, we had to figure out a way to cover that expense. And so we started selling apparel off of it. So now you got a, a, a trailer with every nitrous component you could possibly need, uh, the apparel, and now the bottle trading program. We normally take one to two pallets of bottles. And um, and people meet us at the track, and they'll trade those bottles in uh, towards the new bottle, and that that's been a really good service. And it seems like people call us, "Are you coming here? Are you coming here?" Because they want to take advantage of that while we're there, and and they can ship it in, but it saves them shipping both ways if they can just meet us there at the track and and hand it over. Yeah, absolutely. That's because uh, what what's the deal with that, right? There's dates on them, or what? The, some of the valves and. Yeah, so the bottle trading program actually started. I have a friend that uh, had bought a car and had a bottle in it. And, you know, the bottle looked like new. Um, he had taken the bottle out and placed it in his shop. And later on, he was building a transmission and uh, reached down to move that bottle out of the way and it exploded. Holy and uh, whenever it did, it took his, his leg off at the knee. And the bottle went through his, his, his body like shrapnel. And so he fought for his life for about two months in intensive care. And uh, whenever that happened, it really just didn't sit with me well because the industry as a whole got really quiet, you know, because no manufacturer wants to lose sales because of somebody being scared that something could happen, right? Sure. Uh, but what they were missing out on is, is the opportunity to educate people. It turned out that bottle was 15 years out of certification day. Um, it, it was in a, a Camaro, so it was probably in a hatch, and it probably had sun going through the glass on it a lot of its life, and that's like a magnifying glass, you know, and it just creates hot spots. Well, what DOT had came up with is the sidewall in that bottle was weak, and mm -hmm. so it was just a time bomb sitting there. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is that scuba diving tanks and everything else is the same way, and if you think about the abuse that these racers put these nitrous bottles through, you wouldn't do that to a scuba tank and then strap it to your back. Yeah, no. But for some reason, racers take advantage. They take for granted the power that's sitting in that bottle. And, and so we wanted to educate people. And so we, st we, we started educating people that how to look, and there's a video on our YouTube page of how to look at your bottle and look at the, the crown markings and determine what year it was made. Aluminum bottles are, are good uh, for five years after the manufacturing date. And carbons are for three years. Now, that doesn't mean the bottle's trash. That just means it needs to go get rechecked. And you can go to like a, 
like we have a place which is a paintball shop that does it here like a block up the street and it's $25 to have the bottle recertified mm. so they put it in this big pressure tank and they, they pressurize it and they're looking for any expansion and if it expands the bottle fails and if it doesn't then it passes well you guys that don't have a paintball shop you can go to a place like a1 fire and security anybody that does like fire extinguishers and stuff like mm. that they can test these um but then some people have bottles that are just beat to hell they've been torched and the bottle valves are just terrible and uh so what we do is we give them a hundred dollars for that bottle to go towards the purchase of a new bottle and a new bottle is about 230 for a 10 pound and 290 for a 15 pound and so we will give them a hundred dollar credit and then we take that bottle and we cut it in half and take it to scrap so now once that happens that bottle is out of certification and the reason why this program is so great is because racers They've invested in that product. So they want to recoup some money. We don't want them selling it to somebody else because sure. somebody's eventually going to die. And so what we want to do is we want to take that, that and just remove it from circulation completely and cut it up. And, uh, and we give the racer a way out without losing their entire investment. Yeah. So for anybody that doesn't know that, that's some awesome info. I've kind of followed that. And that's, you guys are really the only one that do it, right? Yeah, because it's not a moneymaker. <laughs> so whenever I first did it, my accountant asked me if I was crazy. Um, and and I, I only planned on doing it for a month. And then I, uh, it had such a hit. We've been doing it for like four or five years now. And, uh, and, it, and people tell me all the time, hey, thanks for doing that. So we're really just looking out for, for uh, you know, performance enthusiasts. Safety is what we're doing. I mean, I, I have kids, um, and I carry nitrous bottles in my cars. I would not, I won't even show up and tune a car. I tell people if I'm going to help them, if your bottle's torched, I'm not going to help you. Um, and so I don't put myself in that situation. I wouldn't want to put my kids in that situation. And a lot of us have kids and a lot of us have street cars with, with these things in it. Um, you need to take in consideration that your, your bad decision could greatly affect someone else's life. Yeah, absolutely. That's probably, is that what you see is probably the most detrimental to any bottles heating it with like a torch or whatever, doing it quick? Yeah, that is the worst thing you can do to it. Um, and, and, and then just staying on top of it because, you know, nitrous has been around long enough now that there are bottles out there that are really, really old that people are using. And should they be fine? Probably. Yeah. I mean, they last forever. But wouldn't it be worth spending $25 and having a pressure tested to make sure or just trading it in for something with a better valve? Right. you know that, that's current so um so if anything even if they don't trade it in i'm okay with that just go get it pressure tested yeah absolutely so willie asked there how close do you come to alabama um i just drove through alabama to go to ducks race um and we'll be coming back through alabama to go to uh ducks race in september and I'm not sure what no prep races are are going over that way uh i'd have to ask jonathan uh, Christy gets frustrated with me because sometimes I show up and go, by the way, I'm going out of town this weekend. And so that's about how well I plan. <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. Something, uh, I'm interested in. I know a lot of people, what I see is a really good thing in the industry is all these nitrous controllers, um, that have the safety features, their fuel cut off and everything wrapped up into one. Now you, you mentioned it, the pro max and then the wind max. Is that the other one? Uh, -huh. the wind max is our window switch with, uh, TPS activation. It's got a gear lockout feature and a shift light built in. Um, mm. Then we have uh, the uh, uh, 
Promat, and the Promat, what it has a lot of features that are very significant to that controller that people have liked. Um, but two things that are really stand out on that thing is the air fuel control. We can set a uh, uh, a certain air fuel or a lambda, and uh, the nitrous controller will control the fuel solenoid and the nitrous solenoid separately to achieve that air fuel. Um, it also has it's a touch screen and uh, it has five tunes that you can save and then across the bottom. So if you rode up to the start line or whatever, and the track started going away, all you got to do is push a button. It's live. So as soon as you do that, it switches to the next tune. Um, for anybody that's not familiar with the pro mats, go to our website and watch the video on it. Check the instructions. We spent a month writing instructions on that thing. The instructions, I promise you are the best instructions you'll find for anything. Yeah, those things, the little controllers like that make the world a difference. I think that's the perfect, like, in-between carbureted and EFI that you can kind of get that helps those people um, have a little bit of safety. It's not the cheapest setup, but it's definitely definitely worth it when you save a whole engine because of the uh, the lean cutoff and all that stuff in it. Yeah, it's got so many. I mean, it's got, like, instead of using a fuel pressure safety switch, it has, uh, uh, you know, it's a data logger, too. So yep. it has the nitrous pressure and the fuel pressure, and you can set thresholds where if it goes above this or below this, shut it off. It has a lot of features involved uh, that that make it very user-friendly to keep you from tearing up the car. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Troy asks, is it bad to use leaded fuel with wet nitrous systems or wet nitrous shop? No, I mean, that's pretty common. Most of your race car stuff is leaded race gas, so... You'll be fine. Now, on late model EFI stuff, if you still have the O2 sensors and you run a straight leaded gas, it'll kill the O2 sensors. So keep that in mind. Sure. There's a couple of guys that I know that have set up some systems. Uh, they like to run the, like, pump gas in the one and then, like, C16 in a standalone. So that seems to work really well. Yeah, you know, those dedicated, um, there's a couple of companies make them now that we started it. And, uh, the, uh, we always, you know, I was a streetcar guy first and I would always run C16 and the dedicated, it does bump up the, uh, overall octane a tad bit. Um, there's no formula. I've seen people advertise. You don't have to remove as much timing and that's terrible, terrible information. Um, because there's no, okay, this amount of octane, this amount of timing is not. Um, so to tell somebody that if they run race gas, they don't have to remove timing is a terrible idea, but it does it does bump up the overall octane a little bit, and also such a minute. minute uh, yeah, you're using <laughs> such a minute amount of uh, of the leaded race gas whenever you're injecting it through the uh, dedicated fuel system that it will not hurt your O2 sensors. Sure, um, Derek was asking. Actually, it's a buddy that I know. Um, he's putting a it's an LS with a Hall EFI. Uh, then he says, does he need any different controller? But I'm pretty sure the Holly has everything in there for controlling it for the most part. Yeah. Um, both my vehicles have Holly FIs on them. Um, and I, I I wish I could say that you still needed our nitrous controller. Um, but neither one of mine. My truck has our nitrous controller on it, but it's a stock ECU. Um, the Holly has all the nitrous control you need. And then there's one other. Oh, what do you guys have to compete with the Edelbrock nitrous controller? And that would be your your Winmax and or your uh, 
Pro Max, I mean, right? That's you have other ones, other controllers too, or is that kind of the go-to now? No, that is definitely the go-to. Uh, the the Edelbrock makes a nice uh, progress controller, and I think that's what he's talking about. Uh, Craig, go check out the features on the Pro Max, and uh, you can make that judgment call for yourself. I think I think you'll I think you'll look at the Pro Max, and it, it can answer itself. Uh, Dave said, "Can you tell us the basic process of creating a tune for a car, pulling timing?" Fuel pressure, when to add each back in without going too much into detail. Like maybe basic you know, process of tuning in nitrous on a car? Yeah, it, it really starts with knowing your platform. Um, every motor responds different. Uh, the LS3, LS7, it's pretty comparable to a small block Ford. Um, your big block Chevy, big block Ford is going to have uh, different uh, timing uh, windows than, than your small blocks. Uh, so it's really about knowing the platforming, knowing the area to start. I like, I tune by pounds per hour and a lot of people, uh, your average street car guy, you know, we kind of know where it needs to be, but when you get into a lot of nitrous, uh, and people, people say, uh, you know, 300 horsepower, 400 horsepower. Well, that's all, that's all a formula based off of something. And the only thing that never changes is pounds per hour. And that's where the flow bench comes into effect because changing fittings and changing different things will affect that. So some of these guys where we're actually spraying a lot of nitrous, they will spend the extra money to have the system flowed um, so that we have a, a closer baseline of knowing where the timing needs to be based off of that. Um, I wish I could tell you, you know, like your average streetcar stuff, assuming that they don't have it overtimed on motor, you always hear that two degrees per 50. That's great for like, you know, 150, 200, sometimes even 300 horsepower on average streetcar if they don't have it overtuned on, on motor um, or overtimed. Uh, you get over into some that spray in 1,000, 1,500 horsepower, that, all, that, all that's out the window. Sure. Um, and, and, and while you can have an idea of where it needs to be on timing, um, cam design, head design, uh, all that stuff uh, will come into play compression, fuel, uh, spark plug, all that stuff comes into play with where the timing needs to start at and where it's at. So sometimes you just have to, we call it picking at it. You just got to pick at the tune up until you get there. So, but you want to creep up, creep up on it. The guys that normally tear it out, tear it up is the guys that have really no clue what they're doing and they go out there and just swing at the fits. They're going to tear it up. It's not, I mean, I tell people all the time and my staff is trained here. We get people calling here and they're being a bonehead. And we just flat out tell them, you're going to blow this car up. And they'll stutter for a minute and stand back, and then they'll listen. But it's a very common practice for us just to tell them straight up, you're going to blow this car up. And we've even told people, look, running nitrous is not something you need to do. You, you, you need to stay in A. And, I mean, so it's, it, it comes. And, and so it's our job to measure the customer and, and measure where his knowledge is. Because a lot of the problem, here's the deal, right, with boost or something like that, you know, you're going to spend four or $5,000 to up the power, right? With nitrous, it's a $5 jet. So <laughs> yeah. the guy's got the nitrous kit on there, and they, they probably spent $1,500 on the nitrous system. Well, there was less involved to put it on there, so they spent less time educating themselves. And they think, I'm just going to throw 400 horsepower on there. Well, 400 doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. And so when they go throw it on there, by just changing the jet, they melt it down. And it's because they have no clue what they're doing. And it's that easy to tear it up. Yeah.
Yeah, I don't know if you can see Troy's question there, but dual 15s have less pressure drop but are heavier. Is it worth it to run on a 300 shot? I guess maybe you could just no. sum that up on the whole. Just like, a, yeah. The dual 15s, maybe if you're a streetcar guy and you were going out for the night and just want to have several digs without having to uh, change your bottle out, I can see the benefit in that. From a race car aspect, lose the other bottle. Yeah, I mean, sure. to be honest with you, a 10-pound bottle could do it if you just traded it out after each pass. Um, but if you wanted to get a couple of hits on it and, and you're not, you know, maybe you're just a test and tune guy and you're not really competing, single 15, you'd probably get two whacks out of it with that. So I guess uh, if you guys have a couple more questions, go ahead and drop them in. But something I – we talked about a little bit when I was best in Virginia, your uh, – what do you call it, Project Orange Juice, the uh, Orange Camaro, Fortune? Yeah. Yeah, I've you know, been building that, that since 2011. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool car, though. It's got an LS, right? Yeah, it's got a 434. Um, the motor that's in there is not actually mine. It's Jonathan Cornelson's. is a friend of mine. And uh, to be honest with you, I just couldn't afford to build a motor right now. I put everything back in this place. And Jonathan had a spare motor that Mike Henson over at Henson Racing built. And he told me, he said, man, why don't you put that motor in there? I had another buddy of mine's 402 in it. And uh, we went to the dyno to tune it, and uh, on about well, after four or five uh, NA pulls, it kept dropping oil pressure. So we pulled the oil filter and it had metal, and it was eating the front bearing. So I ended up uh, having it freshened up and gave it back to my buddy Matt, and then we put this 434 in there. And uh, we've been working on it after hours here and there. And the car, I just ordered a drive shaft earlier from PST. And the uh, the car is literally about three or four hours away from away from cranking. We went from uh, I had individual coal per cylinder uh, with a Holly, and we switched over to the MSD grid and the distributor drive. Um, hmm. And uh, the reason why I did that is is for one, Mike was pushing for it, and Billy Stockland, which I respect uh, quite a bit, uh, and it was just a premier tuner out there. Uh, told me to go over to to that, and I think the reason why is with the nitrous motor is because you have such huge timing swings of getting the timing in and out of it that uh, the individual coil per cylinder just hasn't proven itself yet. Well, that's some good info. That's kind of different. Uh, how much are you? What's kind of your goal? What do you think you see that car doing um, power wise, or how much you plan on really spraying it with? Or we're going to run limited to seventy five, um, which is. Uh, Restricted to 125 uh, thousandths uh, pill. Uh, the uh, uh, I was looking at doing some no prep racing, and man, watching those guys wad the cars up as much as they are, uh, I love no prep. Yeah. But I know that if I tear this car up, I'm I'm done. So uh, I I just want to go have fun, and and not put it in the uh, in the wall. And I know I can do that on a sticky track, but the the uh, the opportunity of doing that is greater with no prep. And I haven't drove since 2011, so for me to go get in a car and go out and do that type of racing right now would be pretty stupid. So we decided we're going to do some track radio. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a fun car, man. I can't wait to see it out. You, all, you have an S10, or you had one? or No, I still have the S10. We call it Stitch. Um, uh, actually, we were in a, a competition to name it. Um, and uh, a guy came up with Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. Um, so uh, we ended up naming it Stitch. The S10 is, is actually nicer in my car. Yeah, it's kind of stupid how much money I put into an S10. 
um, Smith Racecraft built the chassis, and it it turned out really awesome. It's I have all the parts; it just needs wired. I have the the Holly system for it, and um, it's just time. Uh, I get frustrated. I'll be honest with you: if I could find somebody stupid enough to pay what I got in that thing, I'd sell it. Um, <laughs> but I think I'm the only idiot enough to put that much money in an S10. Um, so I uh, I love the truck. I just get frustrated because I don't have any time for anything of my own. Um, so right now, that's actually the reason why I went and bought, I went and bought a, that, uh, Hugger Orange SS earlier this week, cause I just wanted something to drive and, uh, none of my stuff ever runs. So <laughs> yeah. So everybody's like, what are you going to do to it? I'm like, bolt-ons and a cam. That is it. I'm leaving it stock. So I just want to, I just want to cruise, obviously nitrous. I mean, that goes without saying, but yeah. I want to, uh, I want to cruise around in a little while and go to the cars and coffee and, and just enjoy being a car guy again but the race car uh orange juice will actually be finished uh it'll be running next week and then oh. billy's billy and uh and all of us will go to the track and we'll track tune it so i'll make the next rtra race or the next limited 275 race i won't make this one and then we'll start concentrating on getting stitched back together cool well like troy said uh info on being a promoter or dealer for you or if you if anybody wants to get in contact with you on products or anything else what do they need to do to get in contact with you guys um, so we require that you have to have an actual place of business. Um, you have to have a brick and mortar business. We've done that, uh, to try to protect our industry. Um, and then we have different levels of, of first, uh, everybody calls them buy-ins, but you get, you get product with it. So it's first order really. Um, what you would do is you would contact our sales tech department. They would send you all the criteria. You would apply, uh, to become a dealer. And then, uh, they would work with our sales manager and our sales manager actually researches, you know, your actual place of business and he approves it or he disapproves it. Um, so we're, we're pretty picky on our dealer network. Um, and, and you have to, you have to have signage that can be read from the street. Um, so there are things that we do there to protect our dealer network. And, uh, I'm hoping that other manufacturers will do the same. Yeah, absolutely. Everything going online, it's hard, but it's, especially with nitrous, being able to go get it filled locally, it seems like everybody's always looking for somebody to get it filled or go get something, so. Well, that, last year you had the nitrous shortage, and, yeah. uh, you know, it was really frustrating because whenever the Florida plant blew up, it was a year before that, and I'll be honest with you, if we weren't on top of that and watching that as top-heavy as we are because we have such a, we do so much custom stuff here, there's not another nitrous company out there that has 30 employees. And so that means we're very top heavy. Um, and if we, we watch the market very carefully and if we weren't watching that, we would have been in trouble. Um, so we were trimming back, we were cutting expenses. You know, we were the title sponsor for streetcar takeover forever. And I had to call Justin and Keith and be like, Hey man, I got to pull back on some of this stuff. Um, and we got to start building some bank account because we're going to be in trouble if, if people don't respond to this. And I knew it. And guess what? The end of the last quarter, third quarter of last year, I got my breath knocked out of me. And if and if uh, we wouldn't have been on top of that, I would have had to lay employees off. But instead, since we were on top of it, we didn't have to lay any employees off. Instead, we just kept trucking like nothing ever happened. And thank God the market started coming back. Heck yeah. A couple of people asked about nano kits. Um... I actually have one in here right now. Um, so Nano definitely has a, a purpose. It's great for, especially for streetcar applications. Um, it's instant bottle pressure. You can use the nitrous all the way to the end. Uh, 
the uh, only downside is is that you can't top the bottle off. You know, you got to empty for empty and fill and fill. Um, I like to adjust the regulator lower than what they normally send it out at. Uh, the higher bottle pressure in the heat will uh, work against the solenoid from it opening. Um, so you, you used to, whenever I would order it, I would order it, you know, set up for a different lower flowing pressure. Um, recently, Nano so to uh, Mo Hall, I think, I think is his name. Um, Tom, so if you remember for a while, Nano was out really hard and strong. And uh, it was a, it was a two man operation. And uh, Tom uh, suffered a series of strokes. And, uh, and, and whenever that happened, it just really brought the company down to its knees. They're great people. They just fell on some hard times. And the customer service started uh, suffering because of it. And, uh, and they got, they kind of disappeared. You know what I mean? They kind of disappeared because it was hard to get any, any product from them or any service from them. Um, but from the backside, I was always over here rooting and, and checking on Tom and asking them how they were doing and, and hoping they would pull out. Well, they sold it to Mo, uh, I guess last year, into last year. And so, uh, uh, I recently, uh, some of that tech article that I'm working with, with pressure control and stuff, uh, we're actually doing some flow comparisons with uh, Code Nitrous and the push, and we're going to release all the technical data that goes with that for free. Cool. Always doing the right thing with uh, everything that you can. That's that's awesome, man. You're always always getting on there and talking about it, or sometimes you'll get in a little heated argument with some people online or have to stir the pot a little bit depending on what's going on, but it's uh it's always yeah, I'm like much. everybody else. I got that top A personality. Sometimes that's my worst enemy. <laughs> cool. Will your bottle valve so work with the nano kits? Um, so the latest, the 508 thousandths ID billet valve that we offer will not. The 395 thousandths billet valve uh, will. And you, you can tell by looking at the side of it, it'll say push port uh, engraved in the side of the valve. Cool. Well, I appreciate you getting on here. I think uh, I know you're busy and you've had a lot going on, so I can let you get back to it. And I appreciate you getting on here, though, and talking nitrous with us and uh, a lot of good info for sure. Well, thanks for having me. Yes, sir. So we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Thanks.